Hello, welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for this special edition of the pod. Thursday night, it's Wallabies Rugby World Cup squad unveiling day. Christy Doran, been one hell of a day. It's been one long day. Um, look, we thought there were some shocks coming this week, um, but what Eddie Jones dropped or what Rugby Australia dropped in a media release this morning, um, you had some good mail. There's been speculation and talk uh, floating around for a few days, but what lobbed in our uh, our email inboxes at about 9am this morning, um, a bit earlier in embargo or quite earlier embargo than usual, um, I just don't think any of us were expecting. There's shock after shock, and I can't remember having a uh, a press release drop like that where it's an embargo and and yeah, there was a fair bit of information that I kind of had been getting, and it was pretty late night the night before, but it's still, until you see things in writing or you know what's coming out officially, you're like, wow. And and I spoke to a number of former Wallabies coaches today and every single person was shocked and taken aback by, firstly, uh, the decision that Quade Cooper was not going to be there. But secondly, Will Skelton as captain. We, we know that the 86th captain was Tate McDermott. Less than a week ago, there's going to be an 87th coming up very, very quickly. But that is the headline, isn't it? Will Skelton, a person that thought he wasn't going to ever play again for the Wallabies after moving overseas. One or two cameos here and there. He's been played off the bench by Dave Rennie. And all of a sudden, he's catapulted into the Wallabies captaincy. You wouldn't write about it. You wouldn't dream about it. But I actually love it. I think it's... What they need, it's a, it's a good short-term selection. You can't see Wolves Skelton capping Wallabies beyond this year unless they were to somehow win the World Cup. But I can see the logic behind it, but there are some humongous selections that will go through it with a bit more detail now. Absolutely. And just a bit of perspective on that, I think there were so many talking points in this squad that I'm still out on the farm at Coonabarabra at the moment, and I went... Got that email, went out and did some cattle work with the old man in the yards and had my legs, the shit kicked out of my legs by the calves in the race, which was a lot of fun. Reminded me why I, I never became a farmer and instead went into talking about rugby for a profession. But um, yeah, I actually missed the Will Skelton. I missed the C next to his name um, in that 33-man group and came back in to prepare for when the embargo was lifting at uh, 6.35 p.m. tonight and had to call you again and say, mate, I'm not seeing things here, am I? This this is actually legit. That There is a small C next to Will Skelton's name. You mentioned there, uh, Tate McDermott, the 86th captain, the fourth for the Wallabies in 2023, after Michael Hooper and, and James Slipper clearly back in the end of June. Uh, they uh, have a crack. Um, Hoops gets injured, obviously, in the lead-up to the Pumas game when you and I watched that all unfold right before our eyes at training. And, I don't think we imagined then that that was the moment, the embrace between Michael Hooper and Nick White, that that was actually probably the curtain call on on Michael Hooper's Wallabies career. Um, Alan Alatoa does his Achilles in but a slow one. Tate gets a crack, does a pretty good job, I think, in Dunedin last weekend. And, and you land on Will Skelton. And I tend to agree with you. I think you and I have, are both on the record for a while of being big Will Skelton fans. And of the belief that he didn't play as much as he should have under Dave Rennie when he used him on back-to-back spring tours and really only had that one start last year, I think, against Italy. A lot of time off the bench. But to me, the problem I had with Eddie's explanation tonight was 
he was brought in to, to change this team and take it in a new direction. The, the only problem I have with it is that he didn't do this from the start. If that's his claim, then, then why did we get Michael Hooper and James Slipper as great players as they are, um, as experienced as they are, but at the age that they are? And I think we both agree, or a lot of people saw, that these guys were no longer guaranteed starters in this new look Wallabies team. So, so why did we start there? Why didn't we go with, say, a Tate or a Will Skelton, for that matter, back at that point in time? It's a great question, and one that I don't know if we're to get the firm answer from, from Eddie Jones, but... My belief is that he wanted to give one last opportunity to a few guys, wanted to back them, wanted to be seen to be backing them. And with with the thought that, hang on a moment, these guys might not actually get there, but I'm going to give them every indication that they, you know, for their own mindset, that they are the blokes, they are the people that... I'm going to put out there and perhaps a blessing in disguise for Eddie Jones was that he could fall back on this calf injury. And, and I say that because I'm under the belief that Michael Hooper asked Eddie Jones, why have some people been hit to or injured and me when I'm not far away, haven't. And I, I've been told that's occurred. And, and we heard that actually, in fact, tonight when Eddie Jones spoke for the first time to Stan before speaking to sections of the media was that he's likely to be fit around the time that the Wallabies play France in Paris. That's in two weeks' time. Game, yeah. So when other nations are picking guys like Brody Retallick, um, from the, the All Blacks, Sia Khaleesi, who's not played at all, Yet, all of a sudden, you're going to leave out a guy that you named co-captain. To me, there is a strong element that Eddie Jones, what he saw, he wasn't he wasn't impressed with, and we weren't impressed with in South Africa, but it was a continuation of what we'd seen. And this was a person that had struggled for some time, that had become a bit of a turnstile on defence. And in the modern age where collision is everything, he unfortunately was no longer standing up to that. And I go back to when I first saw it against with Ellis Genge back in Brisbane last year, first minute of the game, gets run over the top, and we saw it multiple times against the Springboks. They're some of the things, I don't think people will quite understand it. I don't think Michael Hooper will understand it, but I reckon the writing was on the wall for some time regarding skim. It's, a, it's you know, Quade Cooper's an interesting one in itself, but once again, he's a guy that had opportunities, didn't take them. And I reckon it was a 50-50 call almost between him and Nick White. I always thought one of those eyes was going, the other one wasn't. And Whitey, who I don't think Eddie Jones saw as a big picture throughout the year, there's a reason why he didn't get a rugby Australia top up and ends up going to the Western Falls. I, I think that those cards have turned almost at the last moment. Michael Hooper, you saw him at the Waratahs uh, end of season awards on, on Monday night where he took out a record eight Matt Burke Cup. Now, the Waratahs, let's face it, they were pretty ordinary this year and there were not too many guys there performing week in, week out. Um, you'd probably say Leggy Gleeson was about the best of them when he was on uh, his ball carrying and defence uh, at times, but he was injured throughout. Um, I mean, Jake Gordon is a perennially you know, strong performer for that team, although... 
a guy who was never really on the Wallabies radar this year. So it was almost back to, to Hooper to, I guess, fly the flag on occasions. But you're right, he was never really contributing in the way that we've come, Michael, Michael call Hooper, uh, we expect him to do so. Um, it, it, does it leave a, oh, not a, not a bitter taste because, you know, we were aware that this is the, uh, how sports careers unfold, right? That at some time they, they've got to come to an end. Does it, or is it just the circumstances of this one that's probably going to leave a, a, you know, an unfortunate, um, taste in the mouth for a lot of Wallabies fans moving forward. The fact that, as you said, and as Eddie revealed tonight that he probably was going to be fit by that game against France. Um, previously he was captain that you probably thought he was going to get there. Maybe not start ahead of, um, Fraser McBride, but I guess boils down to the same, um, situation too, that with, uh, with Tom Hooper being able to cover number seven. And I guess that emergence of him, if Tom Hooper doesn't have those couple of games at seven, sorry, that one game at seven there, um, against, uh, the All Blacks and Bledisloe one then uh, we're probably not in this situation. So I guess it's been a couple of sliding doors moments along the way, really, that have brought about what we feel or what without, you know, probably two or three injuries uh, in France uh, in the next month or so, that this is it for Michael Hooper at 125 tests. His international career is over. You'd have to think it is. And my understanding is that Eddie has spoken to a bunch of players and asked them, and I said, look, there's an Australia A test away like around the corner. I'm looking forward to watching you guys battle it out. The question is, are some of these guys wanting to go, are, are they wanting or will they want to go? And for someone like Michael Hooper who's got two kids, 125 tests, does he need to prove himself in Australia A game? Oh, maybe if he was in a mindset that I'm going to continue for a couple more years. But the fact that he's not got a not going to play Super Rugby next year. He doesn't have a contract. He thought he was going to get to the World Cup and then sorted out as to whether or not he wanted to continue. I can't see him necessarily not in this next day or two. He might change his mind in a week's time and go, you know what, I am going to do it. But that's a big thing for him to go, you know what, I'm going to go to Paris. I'm going to leave my family or I have to bring them over there. Maybe go on a barbarian's trip. Um, to Bernard Foley, someone who was in the mix and wasn't in the mix, sort of left in the lurch, has been training in the periphery. What's he going to do? There's there's a couple of these guys. If you're a youngster, you're wanting to to fire up and play. But Michael Hooper, you you have to imagine that his international career is over. And there's a there's a hint of Ian Healy, Adam Gilchrist sliding doors almost around this from 1999 when everyone thought that Ian Healy, great Australian cricket, should be Given this send-off, a World Cup's different. I don't think you can be ceremonious about it. And it's a ruthless, brutal call. Uh, and clearly, I think it's an, a view to the future, to 25 to 27. And and that's a, a tough thing for players to recon reconcile. But we saw France have been able to, to turn things around. I'll give you a couple of stats before we move on. I think they're very, very interesting. Fabian Gauti takes over in, in 2019. Up until 2019, France, between 2012 and 18, win 39% of their games. In 2019, 58% of the games. He ushers through a young generation, noting the World Cup is around the corner in France. And then the French go on to win in this last World Cup cycle, 78% of their games. And you can see that's almost double the amount of, of, of games that they've won in the last few years and and that's been off the back of backing a, a youth with the world cup knowing it's around the corner 
And I think Andy Jones has almost gone down that same sort of path. And you flagged this a few weeks ago, right? We spoke about it at the time, that things didn't improve. And it was almost like a, a free hit. And knowing too that Australia are clearly on the weaker side of the draw, we said many times, is this squad good enough to win the World Cup? No, I don't think so. But are they good enough to get through to a semi-final, perhaps playing one very good game in a quarterfinal to beat potentially or England or Argentina? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, you, you probably don't lose a lot or Eddie doesn't lose a lot of skin in the game, right? But if they're to lose a pool game, and I was having this discussion with my family tonight here saying if, if they, imagine, hypothesize this for a moment, if they lose to both Fiji and Wales and go out in a quarterfinal, then, I mean, that's an absolute catastrophe for the Wallabies in Australian rugby, right? That his, his position, despite what it might cost to pay him out, uh, what he's been brought back to achieve and, and to go out, if that was the case, in a, with a couple of pool defeats. I mean, that'd be it for Eddie too, right? Possibly. And this is where, oh, look, I've been told for a number of months, not just recently, that, that Rugby Australia or the Wallabies are working on a 27 backwards kind of thing. That even, you know, people from RA didn't think this would be solved overnight by having a new coach, but and I think we even spoke about it last year that there was a desire for Dave Rennie for him to keep some young players coming through, and and we saw one or two occasionally. You know, Donaldson was taken on a spring tour, but you know, Tate Tate ends up capping the Wallabies this year. Last year he was barely in the side, so yeah. it was collection issues, misunderstandings, bringing back the Quake Coopers, the Bernard Foley's, and maybe there were some short-term sugar hits, but that's perhaps all they were. But it'll be fascinating to see how confident the board is regarding this squad when they got sign-off about it, because I think it might have been later in the piece than people actually expect, but there has been a desire for them to back youth. So... You know, but you're right. If, if you lose a pool game, if you lose to Fiji, you were on a bit of a hot streak themselves, developing, coming through. Wales have just found a bit of momentum uh, by beating England themselves, a, a side that struggled and had one of their worst ever Six Nations. If you start to lose to these sides, the heat is going to turn on you overnight, isn't it? Your sure is, and it was a good point made on social media. Someone was describing pool C, maybe not as the group of death, but as one that is perhaps holds the most intrigue in terms of where the teams are on the rankings, right? I think there was four teams within five spots of each other with Portugal only, you know, just way, way down the list a bit. So um, it's going to be, you know, a fascinating couple of weeks to open the World Cup and, and pull C without doubt. Before we leave Will Skelton as captain, I mean, just to reflect on his career to this point for a moment, if you, you go back to sort of 2014 when he really started to emerge under Michael Checker there, People remember that ball that he threw to Bernard Foley in the semi-final win over the Brumbies at a near-full Allianz Stadium. He comes out about a month later, I think, and throws a similar pass to a flying Israel Folau. A nice little short ball Saturday afternoon at the SFS. I think it was just about man of the match on that day, his debut as well. And everyone thought, yeah, this guy's going to go on and play, you know, 80, 100 tests for the Wallabies. He's a generational player at that size with this skill, the way he moves... Um, and then it all just fell apart. Injuries and I think a bit of desire and form, clearly. He gets over to Saracens on a short-term deal, and and now that's the making of him, really. Isn't it? We've known for some time that he gets into a, with a good strength and conditioning program over there. They get him fit. 
it becomes part of that Saracens juggernaut, which, you know, was clearly paying people beyond its means and was penalised later down the line, but still gets a, a couple of um, European championships out of it. I think a premiership as well. Goes to La Rochelle and is a part of that team under under Rodan O'Gara, wins two more European Champions Cup. And that's what this guy's not going for, it, right? As opposed to all these other guys in this Wallaby squad, that he's a winner. He's got four trophies, four of the biggest trophies in world rugby to his name. Um, and he's got that proven track record in France where this World Cup is going to be. So there's a lot to kind of question around the decision. But when it boils down to, okay, we need a winner. Who's the winner in this team? Well, it's Will Skelton. Yeah, I, I, I think you've, you've summed it up perfectly. But I think it's also, what a statement for Australian rugby a game that always talks about all shapes and sizes, a, a game that's done very little for its grassroots, for its pathways, for the guys and girls that are growing up in the Western suburbs or wherever it might be. This is a person that has probably been at times, and he's spoken about it, bullied about his size at school and everything else, and yet he has triumphed under incredible adversity at times. And he's now captaining his country. I think it's a, a an inspired selection. I'm really fascinated to see how he goes. He's liked by a lot of his teammates. He can be a bit of a joker, but he can also be very serious. And we've probably seen that change of personality, particularly since he's re-emerged for the Wallabies. And, and it's pretty evident how he speaks, how humbled he is. Eddie Jones said that, that Will Skelton needed a bit of time to reflect. And, and that's the sort of player that you want in a, co- in a, in a captain because you don't, captains genuinely are, are, are discovered. They don't, you know, you, you don't, you don't just like pluck them out of anywhere. And, and I think Skelton, as I say, great, great call. Um, and he certainly headlines the list. And there are so many surprises throughout this squad and some people that are a bit unfortunate, I think. Brucey, who do you think stands out as a couple of the guys that are firstly fortunate to make the squad and perhaps a couple of guys that are unfortunate to make the team? Certainly a massive call on on Max Jorgensen too. I can see the logic behind it in terms of, as we were speaking about before, looking to 2027. He fits that bill perfectly. And I asked Eddie that on the Zoom tonight. I said, how much of this is 2027 or can he shake off this injury? Because he said he's still probably two or three weeks away in an interview with Stan Sport as well. Can he come back and challenge these guys in the outside backs? Now, the Wallabies are pretty well stocked in the outside backs. Um, getting past a, a Corimetti, a Norman Eduasi, or an Andrew Kellaway is probably going to be pretty unlikely. And probably that game against Portugal, if all things have gone well, loom as a perfect opportunity to to give Max Jorgensen a, a Wallabies debut. It may come sooner, who knows? Uh, away from that, look, I, I mean, the, the gamble by not picking a straight second or a form a player with a bit of form and um, a bit of recent footy under their belt behind Carter Gordon at number 10. I mean, to put Ben Donaldson in there after his Super Rugby season um, on the back of, and what we spoke about earlier in the year, he seems to just crumble a little bit in the big moments. You think back to that clearing kick against the Brumbies, I think about in rounds four or five, maybe rounds six down in Canberra where they were right in that game. They probably played the better of the footy on the balance. They get ahead and they're clearing their own line and he boots one out on the full and it just became an unforgivable error in that match and kind of reflected his season as a whole. Now, look better at fullback, no doubt, but to go into a World Cup um, 
without a, a specialist backup number 10. Um, and the goal kicking, Christy, that's the big concern for me, isn't it? Like you, you look at Carter Gordon, who sure he two, nailed two sideline conversions in Dunedin last week, but then missed the, the sitting penalty from just left of the post when the, the game was, you know, right in the balance of, and on the line. So uh, we know he didn't kick during the Super Rugby season. Reese Hodge was doing that for the Rebels that we've spoken about before. That's the troubling part I find with leaving Quaid out. Um, we know Nick White's a backup, but again, doesn't do a lot of kicking for the Brumbies and probably more associated with that long range boot. Um, so that's that's the troubling selection for me is relying on Ben Donaldson, I guess. I mean, he's almost got to be in that 23 now, right? Because there's no one else who can cover number 10 um, unless he, Eddie's got something up his sleeve with a with an Andrew Kellaway, who I know played a couple of games there as a schoolboy, but didn't really shine from what I recall. Um, there's no one else there who, who fits that bill. So you've got to think that Donaldson is your man in that 23, right? Yeah, yeah, because there's no Reese Hodge as well. He was a person that we found out a bit more about yesterday that, that hadn't received a call. So, yeah, 33 players, this squad, um, the nuts and bolts. There's, there's only five that are above the age of 30. But, yeah, it's it's exceptionally skinny at 10. Uh, perhaps even 15, you, you'd say as well. Like Jordan Batias played a bit of fullback, but is he a natural fullback? Yes, his preferred position is there, but he seems like he's more of a right winger or a winger or, or a centre at the moment. Uh, Max Jorgensen barely played more than probably seven or eight games for the Waratahs before getting injured this year. Uh, so, so there's a lot of guys that don't have form coming into it. And then it is surprising to see some of the areas like Sully Bunavalu taking up a spot on the right wing doesn't cover anywhere else. If you've got a Tom Wright there, you can see him both on the right wing or on either wing, fullback, potentially at 10 at a pinch. He played 5-8 for the Manly Seagulls. So there's another playmaker that's potentially been left out. I, I think Tom Wright, Pete Samu, Ryan Lonigan are the three guys that I think are yep. probably... Some of the unluckier inclusions, along with obviously the bombshell ones of of Quade Cooper, particularly. Uh, no Jed Holloway too. Lonigan would have given them another goal kicking option, a guy that's extremely re- highly regarded at the, at the Brumbies. Uh, I find that a surprising omission. Uh, it wasn't given an opportunity, but some of the guys that have also come in there that I think. Fair play to them. Isaac Fines, I, I've, I've spoken about him throughout the year. Great running game. I can't see him starting a test, but I think he offers the tempo that Eddie Jones might want off the bench, whereas we saw Nick White struggle, I think, a couple of times off the bench this year. Isaac Fines would lift the tempo in a, in a similar way to Tate McDermott. So if McDermott's not there, maybe... And I wouldn't be surprised if Nick White starts a number of games throughout this coming up tournament too, but... We've also got to remember that there's going to be some injuries happen, and and every every World Cup it happens. Will Skelton, of course, got injured in the only World Cup that he was there in 2015 against Uruguay, and comes up back and has to have surgery. So that will be intriguing to see some of the you know the roll on trickle down effects there because James O'Connor, Falau Fyinga, Tom Lambert are the three blokes that are also going up to Darwin to train with them extraordinary that O'Connor's been catapulted into the mix ahead of guys like Quade Cooper, someone who's not played that much rugby, a bit of club rugby recently, but 
he he's certainly thinking, well, I've kind of come from nowhere and he's on the cusp of potentially a World Cup call-up. There, of course, is the Australia A-match, Barbarians games, so there will be guys getting opportunities and I imagine that Ben Donaldson will probably play for Australia A against uh, Portugal, perhaps even before the French game, merely for the fact that he needs time in the saddle. So how Eddie divides his squad and does he pick five blokes from the Wallabies that have made the World Cup for that Aussie A team. We'll see, but there's some very interesting, intriguing developments that will still take place over the next couple of weeks. With the Wallabies, of course, getting on the flight to Paris on August 17, which is in a week's time. You mentioned the guys that had been included despite injuries, and there's Summer Karevi in there, and um, Daniela Tupu clearly nursing that rib cartilage injury, which we, you know that can be uh, needled up. But Lenny Katow, along with Hooper, was was the other big one, Michael Hooper, mm-hmm. that is. A guy that I think most people most people involved in Australia Arabia would say has been among the most consistent performers for the Wallabies when he has been playing. Same for the Brumbies at Super Rugby level. Regard as probably one of the best defenders in the 13 jersey in the world, I think, and, and probably established himself as a real, you know, at least in the top three or four in that position worldwide. So... To kind of not roll the dice on him as opposed to some others there um, really only looks like you, you've got um, Pataya as a natural 13. Fakiti can play there a little bit. Uh, Karevi can obviously play there, has played there in the past. Kilaway to pinch as well. But um, given what he had done in recent times, Lenny Katow, is his admission perhaps a little bit more surprising again than Michael Hooper's? I think so. But the one thing that I've been told for quite a while is, is the shoulder injury that he suffered there. That's a long term. You don't generally get over that quickly. And he was always going to be racing the clock. Well, you've got to build back up your contact again, right? If it's a shoulder, what do you use to tackle? Your shoulder. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, look, it is surprising that if, if he was close, I'm surprised that he's not there. Left foot option as well. Only left footer in that that, that squad. So, uh, yeah, I think that is a surprising one. Um, you know, and Samu Karevi coming back from injury himself. So, you know, six props in the, in, in the squad. Um, I think it's great that Blake Shop's been given a call off a guy that you know, continues a remarkable career, a bloke that was playing club rugby 12 months ago and he finds himself in a Brunley program and impresses everyone. I love the scenes of him against the Hurricanes in that quarterfinal, revving up the, the crowd, uh, and he seemed to really embrace the pressure. Uh, obviously, Zaynongos still finds himself in the squad too, so a couple of young guys up there. Matty Fesler, well played. Now he's lying out yep. last week against the, uh, against the All Blacks and Dunedin. So there are some things where you go, fair enough, they've been rewarded with form, but there are some, some well, at the same time, some some big, big calls and some huge risks. And in the same way that the Springboks have almost, I think, made some unnecessary risks by naming four halfbacks, for instance, and guys that, yeah, if I have to, to clerk and kind of play at 10, and you know, Grant Williams can kind of play on the wing, but it's not their preferred positions. I feel like the Wallabies have almost made one or two unnecessary risks themselves by not having that was 10 back up there like Wade Cooper but it, it goes to show that there's a, a gulf between the age groups for your Australian playmakers and very few that are around that 
that 30 age bracket or the or the you know between 27 and, and 32 it's a it's a, a a huge gulf there massive concern and yeah they're going to be learning on the run some of these guys and you think about between Donaldson and and Carter Gordon they've played six tests between them for one win and the one win that they got Ben Donaldson subbed off when they were well and truly behind Ailes and Noel Olesio comes on to steer the ship so there's not much form there's not much winning success there but this is the mad scientist that Eddie Jones evidently is whether or not it comes off in this this potion that he's conjured up with this 33 person squad wow and I've got no issue with naming a player like Josh Kemi. I think he's certainly at the bottom end of that back rowers. But name is a, as a back rower. Don't you know? You know, hit us with this carry on about being a utility player, right? As if Josh Kemi is going to end up playing on the wing. I mean, he might at some point, but only because the absolute necessity of it. He's not a winger. He's not a centre. He's not a and he's not a nine. He can probably play six, seven, and eight in the back row. Maybe seven at a maybe eight at a stretch. I don't know. Um, but to put him as a utility and to say, look, if we get in a jam here, then he might have to play on the wing as the joke was back in, in April. And I, I kind of thought at the time, oh, well, that's maybe just for now a wider kind of training squad. Um, but to have that on the 33-man squad for a Wallabies, foregoing a position to give yourself a little bit more cover from a playmaking perspective, and even that was keeping Donaldson in there, I think that's a wasted position as a utility player. Either name Josh Kemeny as a back rower, and say, yep, he's giving us cover there, or don't pick him at all. And I can't make any arguments there whatsoever. It's probably even more peculiar, given that he was named in that TRC squad before then gets re- getting removed for the Burslows. You know, he's had about an eight-minute cameo or so, a ten-minute cameo against Argentina, where unfortunately he wasn't able to hold up the Argentinian player that scores the try of the forward and escapes my mind. But... Yeah, it's a it's a curious move, but apparently it's been one that Eddie has often spoken about. You know, these utility, the idea of these utility players, and of course he spoke about it with Jack Knoll with England at times. But this is a bizarre move for someone who's never played on the wing. Absolutely, yeah. I guess that you mentioned South Africa. We must say that there has been the World Cup squads are being announced through the week, and and teams have. Um, there's been controversial selections, as you mentioned, with the Springboks there. Uh, no Pollard, uh, Lucanio Am or Lou Diaga, all those guys coming back uh, from injuries and, and not given the chance to, to get back and contest or defend their World Cup with that team. Uh, Henry Slade was probably a big omission from the England team this week. Um, the All Blacks, uh, you know, as you mentioned, trusting Brody Retallick, despite the likelihood that he'll miss certainly the first game and probably the second um, a lot of conjecture around whether Finley Christie should have been there ahead of Brad Weber, uh, despite Christie playing throughout the, the rugby championship. So, look, I mean, there's always going to be players in every squad that are going to be debated, but it feels like this is new ground for what we experienced today with the Wallabies. And, and how do you think the rest of the world, how do you think Warren Gatlin's waking up this morning and seeing that squad from a Welsh perspective? Is he thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty happy with what? Eddie has rolled out there today, or he knows Eddie from Six Nations campaign of the last 10 years and things. You know what? He can still cook something up here. Yeah, I think initially he might 
like, if he's having a coffee, watch out anyone around him. I think that's probably my first initial reaction, but it would have caught a lot of people by surprise, undoubtedly. The coaching, I think Fiji would have been confident regardless. Regardless of who the Wallabies rolled out, I think Fiji would have been confident, knowing that they've found some whales on the other hand. They've got their own issues to contend with at the moment. Yes, they've had a win against England, but they've got a long, long way to make up before they become serious consideration to to make the last four, I'd think. But there's an element of complete unknown and unpredictability about this Wallaby side. And that's the thing that will be... No one is going to... No, no one in world rugby that knows anything about Eddie Jays will be taking this side for granted. I think that's a, a point that must stand. It is still a team that has Angus Bell, probably a fit Taniela Tupo, a Will Skelton, a pretty dynamic and big back row, some some quality in the midfield. And as we've discovered over the last month or so, some very exciting outside backs with Mark Wanganito Arce, a settler, and Andrew Kellaway, who just doesn't do much wrong, but yet finds himself in great positions. Then Marika Corbetti as well. So there is enough class to still be a, a very good side. It's whether or not things come off, like injuries, whether or not uh, they kick their goals, penalties. You know, Matt Dirk, when, when Australia win that final and the road to the World Cup final in 1999, Matt Burke misses something like one kick in three matches, and we know how many penalties he banged over in the semi-final and the final. So uh, there's, I, I don't think people will be underestimating the Wallabies, but there will be surprise right across the world, and maybe even Jeff Wilson's the smartest bloke out there, thinking that Quade Cooper was was no chance, or the Wallabies were no chance of Quade Cooper running the cutter there at ten. So. Fair play to, uh, to Jeff Wilson across the ditch. And, and we come back to it again. You mentioned Berkey there, and you think about uh, Pollard in 2019, of course, Johnny Wilkinson in 2003, Dan Carter 2015. Um, the All Blacks had to really go down through uh, the uh, goal-kicking stops in, in 2011, clearly. But it's the one common theme, right? You don't win World Cups unless you've got guys who are kicking at sort of minimum 70, I'd say 75%. Um it's so important. Higher, higher, surely, 85, 90. Even 80, 85, there you go. You just don't win big games of rugby at the knockout phase with a guy kicking at 50 or 60. There's just too many points. The games are too close. Set piece is too important. Territory is too important. If you're not begging those shots over, potentially even those 50-51s from 50 metres or 45 out on the angle, if you're not kicking those and you're not winning a World Cup, if you don't have a guy who can get back in the pocket and hit a drop goal from 30 out when play slows down and you're not going anywhere and you're unlikely to get a penalty. If you don't have those guys in your team, history will tell you that you cannot win a World Cup. So I think that's the big asterisk mark. Given everything that we've said here tonight on this team, and it's the shadow that's going to hang over them in the build-up through those early games, if Carter Gordon gets the wobbles from the kicking tee, and I just I don't know whether we mentioned it on Sunday around... He seemed to almost try and guide that penalty goal over the, the sideline conversions. He really kicked through it nicely. I got the impression that the nerves came into it. The league got a little bit jelly-like, and he just almost tried to stroke that through like a little pitching wedge from 70, 80 metres out, um, 
not kick through it like he did those two goals from the sideline, which were as true as you like. That's still a, it's the dark cloud that hangs over this Wallabies team, the concerns around, but can they play some rugby to mix it with the world's best? Yes, we saw that in New Zealand on Saturday. Can they do it consistently? Probably not at this point in time. Might they in France, but if they get close enough and then not get over the line because of goal kicking, I think we'll reflect and think that there's been an error made today. Yeah, and valid points. Uh, you, you know, Carter Gordon plays a lot of golf, and often golfers will, amateur golfers anyway, will try to go less is more sometimes. And if you just try to concentrate on the tempo of the swing rather than trying to hit it to, you know, out of the out of the field if you're a cricketer or or, or driving the green if you if you're playing golf, uh, you're right. He he did try to guide it, and he's he's someone actually who didn't much throughout the year for the Rebels and it's because he was suffering from a both a hip plexia and a groin issue throughout the year and it meant that from my understanding for about eight weeks or so Carter Gordon wasn't doing any form of kicking at training other than some left foot grubbers and wasn't doing any goal kicking wasn't doing any drop kick restarts and we know that they were exposed against the All Blacks in Melbourne and interestingly the left foot grubber that that he ends up scoring within Pretoria, so perhaps that explains that because he's all he was doing for a long, long time was the left foot grad of us. So, as long as the Wallabies manage him over the next couple of weeks, that'll be crucial because I did hear earlier today that he's a bit tight in a couple of areas, and you wouldn't be wanting to overwork him if you just pinned your faith behind him and you've broken a few blokes' hearts. So. Big decisions to be made. Wouldn't be surprised if we see a James O'Connor rocket back into consideration if there's an injury. Uh, but, you know, there's still a long time before the Wallabies' first World Cup game, isn't there? Well, you know, September 9, that's just fractionally less than 30 days' time. So watch this space. But I think overall reflections, this is a positive step forward for me in terms of looking at the future, 25, 27 I didn't think that the current squad with a lot of guys that were maybe, I wouldn't say passengers, but maybe hanging on, I don't think that was going to win your World Cup. And if that's the case, then I think it's important to ensure that there's some guys there that are going to make up the crux of this side going forward are there. So that, I think, is an important thing. So uh, Phil Wall, Rugby Australia CEO, uh, earlier this week quoted as saying semi-finalists, the past, Mark, oh, I don't think that's kind of changed today, has it? You kind of still feel with this squad that where they're coming from on the weakest side of the draw, um, if they get through their pool and play, you know, one decent game of rugby in a quarterfinal, they should be in a semi. Now, I, I don't think even if this squad potentially plays out of its skin on that day, considering that we know knockout rugby, what can happen, we've got the outliers this time around, sorry, the variables of red and yellow cards and TMOs and I, we haven't spoken about that for a while, but I, you still kind of get the feeling that we're going to see some curly ones there. Uh, we already have in terms of some decisions made through the rugby championship and elsewhere. Um, that can change a game, we know. But it, it kind of feels that the, the there's a semi-final. Is the ceiling, it's it's a pass market. It's the ceiling of this team, if that makes sense. If they do anything beyond that, then that'll be a huge result. And if you get through to a final, well, well anything can happen. But... I just don't think from what we've seen, the squad that was named today, 
who's available, the injuries, whatever else. When you when it boils down to it, if this team comes up against, say, an All Blacks or a Springboks or a Island or France in a semi final, whichever one of those, whichever two of those teams get through, it's hard to see them winning a match. Yeah, and look, we know that they're likely to face Argentina or England in a quarterfinal. Japan haven't shown the no, they're going backwards. Just to suggest that they might challenge one of those two aforementioned nations, they're still they're still beatable, both of those nations. But what Argentina will do is kick their goals, particularly from long range. They'll try to suffocate you at the breakdown. England, England have got decisions to make right across the right across the side. And, and they're squeezing some tens in there, perhaps too many tens. You know, the George Boards, the Olive Barrels, the Marcus Smiths. Well, if you've got so many of them, there's going to be some disappointed people, at least with this squad from the Wallabies. They know pretty much who's playing. You know, they know who the 10 is. They know who probably the 12 is. They know what the back row is like. Let it be, you know, they know what Will Skelton's going to be at the forefront of it. So... You know, there's not too many chefs in that kitchen. I can tell you that, and 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 I think that that actually might be a slight. And if there is a silver lining, but if there's a blessing in disguise, that that could be one of them. That there's not going to be too many egos there. I, I Matt jo- Max Jorgensen, lovely young man, 18 year old, probably doesn't think he's going to play that much. But I'll tell you what, he's going to train very hard and hope that he is. But he's not going to throw the toys out of the cot, is he? So. It's an interesting mix that, that Eddie's gone with. Certainly is a fascinating day, a long one. Um, it's, yeah, I think if you sat down and wrote this squad down this time last year, considering that it was a different coach and uh, everything else that was happening at the time, um, and come up with this, you'd just be, you know, sent off to the mental asylum, clearly, because... Anyone who's, left, to go, Bruce, you'd say. Uh, anyone who's landed on this 33-man group today, uh, if you saw that coming, um, you're the modern-day Nostradamus because that was uh, that was something extraordinary. All right, mate. I, I, look, I think that's pretty good. Um, it's been a big day, as we said. Uh, you've been flat out. Uh, I've been flat out. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's no less exciting, but uh, it's a kind of a weird feeling at this point in time, and knowing just uh, a real sense of the unknown of how this team. And all the changes that we've seen today and the emissions and, and inclusions uh, equally is going to come together. Um, but yes, you'll be there uh, against France at Stade de France. Mate, what uh, what do you fly out about the 20, 23rd or 24th there? 22nd arrive on the 23rd. So it'll be great to be on the ground, start our ad match and get a real kind of good feeling around the Stade de France. And I'm very excited, not too far away, but there's a fair bit more, and I reckon there's probably one or two more twists before we get there, and and equally the Wallabies too. Certainly packed a lot in this year in terms of twists and turns, and you're right, there's probably a couple more left just yet. Uh, stay with us over the next few weeks, team. We'll bring you some pool previews and get a bit of a wide perspective on some of the other teams uh, right across all 20. Uh, heading to France, uh, squads are going to continue to be named this week. Uh, but yeah, bring it on. Uh, great time, great time to be involved with the game and, and certainly lots to discuss. And uh, before we uh, kick off with that opening game, which will be the biggest one of all time in, in terms of Rugby World Cups, uh, New Zealand and France, uh, September 8th at Stade de France. Uh, what a game to kick it off with. Can't wait. <laughs>